Welcome to Friendship with God with our Bible teacher, Tom Cantor. Today's message and previous messages can be listened to or downloaded for free at friendshipwithgod.org, friendshipwithgod.org. You can also obtain free resources from Tom Cantor and view our online bookstore at friendshipwithgod.org or call us at 800-247-3051, 800-247-3051. Tom Cantor also has a daily devotional verse that comes out each day by email and on Facebook. To receive this small daily devotional verse that Tom Cantor puts out, you can sign up at friendshipwithgod.org friendshipwithgod.org or find Tom Cantor on Facebook by searching for Tom Cantor and Friendship with God. Now here is our Bible teacher, Tom Cantor. The Shamus is the one who, he's like the bouncer, so to speak. Well, he's not called that, but I mean, you know, he, <laughs> he's the guard, you know, but if there is trouble, the Shamus is the one who, you know, bailiff. Anyway, so it means to guard or to keep or to watch over. And although several different English words are used in Psalm 121, it's the same Hebrew word, shamar. In verse three, he that keepeth, shamar. He that keepeth thee, shamar. Verse four, he that keepeth Israel, shamar. Verse five, the Lord is thy keeper, shamar. Verse seven, the Lord shall preserve, shamar. Shall preserve thee. Verse seven, the Lord shall preserve, shamar, thy soul. Verse eight, the Lord shall preserve, shamar, thy going in and thy coming out from this time forth even forevermore. So this shows us over and over again, God's the keeper, God's the guard, God's the watcher. And so and then as we go on in Psalm 121, we see we have a sleepless God. We have a God that doesn't sleep. He doesn't even, he doesn't even take a cat nap, you know? And, 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 and especially for Israel, this is important. And, and Isaiah 27, verse two, it says, in that day, sing ye unto her a vineyard of red wine. I, the Lord, do keep it, Shamar. I will water it every moment, lest any hurt it. I will keep it, Shamar, day, night and day. Fury is not in me. Who would set the briars and thorns against me in battle? I would go through them, I would burn them together, or let him take hold of my strength, that he may make peace with me, and he shall make peace with me. He shall cause them to come up, Jacob, to take root. Israel shall blossom and bud. Fill the face of the earth with food. See, I will keep it, Shamar, day and night. You know, night times for a a vine, you know, know, if those of you have gardens, you know, you got it all set up in the daytime, and you come back and say, you know, who ate all those tomatoes, right? (laughs) You know, know, that's when the pests come out at night. It's when the rabbits come out of my house. And so the description here is of the keeper of Israel day and night. And then we're told in in Psalm 121, now look, I wanna turn your eyes from creation to Israel. Look at Israel. You wanna see the greatest example of God's shamar? Look at how God keeps Israel. Psalm 121, verse four. He that keepeth Israel shall neither slumber nor sleep. Look at the, the enemies of Israel. I mean, how many they are, how rich they are, how much land they have, and how often they intended to exterminate Israel. And who won? So this psalm tells us, look at Israel. When the psalm tells us to look at Israel, it's to see an example of God's keeping. But, you know, I was talking about Mount Miguel and the hills and stuff like that. But really, really, we got to look at the hills from a different perspective. When this psalm tells us to look at the hills, there's another important meaning here when we realize 
from where this psalm was written, Jerusalem. It was written in Jerusalem. We're talking about the mountains or the hills. Well, in some places it's called the mountains in Psalm 133, verse three, the great psalm about unity. In Psalm 133, verse three, it says, as the dew of Hermon and as the dew that descended upon the mountains of Zion, mountains of Zion, that'd be the mountains of Jerusalem, there the Lord commanded the blessing, even life forevermore. The mountains of Zion, the mountains, the hills of Zion, if you want, is where God commands the blessing of eternal life. And there are three. There are three mountains or hills of Zion that we need to keep in mind that are in Jerusalem. Very important when it comes to the blessing of eternal life. And the mountains, the first mountain is Mount Moriah. Mount Moriah, Jerusalem. That's where we saw the substitution. That mountain stands for substitution. When the Lord Jesus Christ took our place, his substitute. Mount Moriah speaks to us of how the Lord Jesus Christ became our substitute and died for our sins, just like Abraham offered the ram in the stead or in the place of Isaac on Mount Moriah in Genesis 22, 13. Genesis 22, 13. Abraham lifted up his eyes and looked, and behold, behind him a ram caught in a thicket by his horns. And Abraham went and took the ram and offered him up for a burnt offering in the stead of his son. And so we'd have no eternal life if the Lord Jesus Christ did not die in the stead of us on Mount Moriah, substitutionary death of the Lord Jesus for our sins. Second mountain, Mount of Olives, Mount of Olives. That's where we saw the decision of the Lord Jesus Christ to go to the cross so we could have eternal life. On the Mount of Olives is the Garden of Gethsemane. And there the soul of the Lord Jesus struggled to the point of sweating drops of blood as he pleaded in Mark 14, 36, Mark 14, 36, and he said, Abba, Father, all things are possible unto thee. Take away this cup from me. Nevertheless, not what I will, but what thou will. That was the Mount of Olives, where the Lord Jesus Christ made that vital for us, decision for him too, to become our sin offering, because he died as a result of it, and he made a decision to die for us on the Mount of Olives, and if he didn't do that, we wouldn't have eternal life. Second mountain. Third mountain, Mount Calvary. Mount Calvary, where we saw the actual sacrifice of the Lord Jesus Christ, so we would have eternal life. On Mount Calvary is where the Lord Jesus Christ was actually crucified and died for our sins. And unless he was crucified and died for our sins, forget about eternal life. So when David is in Jerusalem, in Psalm 121.1, he says, I will lift up mine eyes unto the hills, three hills, three hills. The hill the Lord made us our substitution, Mount Moriah. The hill where he made his decision, Mount of Olives. The hill where he actually became our sacrifice for sin, Mount Calvary. So this is the Lord that he looks to in Psalm 121. You know, parents die, brothers and sisters alienate from each other, friends become estranged, but not so with God. And God has all power. And so he looks to God as the keeper of Israel, not just one Israelite, but all the Israel as a whole. And he looks to God as the great keeper, the great Shamar. And then he says, oh, the Lord is thy keeper. He tells everybody, David does. The Lord's thy keeper. He's thy shade upon thy right hand. He looks to God as the shade on the right hand. It means protection. You know, the right hand is the vulnerable hand because the left hand, you hold the shield. But the right hand, you don't have a shield. So you're vulnerable. 
So, and the ultimate statement for protection in Psalm 121, verse seven, the Lord shall preserve, shamar thee from all evil. You name it, he protects. He shall preserve thy soul. That's wonderful. So he looks to God for protecting him from the evil that comes in prosperity, the evil that comes in poverty, the evil that comes when you're approved of, the evil that comes when you're not approved of, right? And it's uh, not just our possessions, not just our home, not just our family, but our souls he preserves. You know, in Psalm 48, 14, Psalm 48, verse 14, for this God is our God and forever and ever, and he'll be our guide even unto death. So he finishes this psalm, and it's wonderful, and, and he's gonna take care of us forever. That's why the Holy Spirit is given to us forever. In John 14, 16, he said that he may abide with you forever. So uh, good not to make him mad because you know he'll be in you forever, so you know, don't grieve him. <laughs> now we come now to verse six, and verse six in Genesis 35, Genesis 35, six. Jacob came to Lewis, which is the land of Canaan. It's Bethel, he and all the people that are with him. Now, this may just seem like an insignificant record of a trip, but it's not. It's very important because of the importance of Bethel. Bethel is where Jacob first met God over 20 years ago when he promised to God, the Lord, that if you'll be with him, then I'll let you become my God. When Jacob left Bethel, the Lord was not his God. But when Jacob left Bethel, it was like Jacob had struck out on life on his own. And he wanted to see if he could really live this life independent of God and make a good go of it. But life's been pretty rough on this poor guy, Jacob. And so we see him coming back to Bethel, you know, hobbling along. And he looks pretty worn down, but he's coming back. That's the point. He's coming back to God. And that's how we can look at verse 6, back to Bethel. Verse 6 is back to Bethel. It's Jacob's back to Bethel. That's the great message of verse six, back to Bethel. The great message of Genesis 35, six is that Jacob found his way back to Bethel, which means that there's always a way back to Bethel. There's always a way back to God. And when you look at the life of the prodigal son, it's very interesting. Turn to that, please, Luke 15. Luke 15, verse 14, it starts. It's very interesting, Luke 15, 14. Keep your place in Genesis 35 where you have to find it again. Now, I'm gonna ask you some questions here. So, you know, really pay attention to Luke 15, 14, okay? I'm gonna, I'm gonna ask you a question. Okay, here we go. And when he had spent all, there arose a mighty famine in that land, and he began to be in want. And he went and joined himself to a citizen of that country, and he sent him into his fields to feed swine. And he would fain have filled his belly with the husks that the swine did eat, and no man gave unto him. And when he came to himself, he said, how many hired servants of my fathers have bread enough and to spare, and I perish? With hunger, I will arise and go to my father and say unto him, Father, I've sinned against heaven before thee. I'm no more worthy to be called thy son. Make me as one of thy hired servants. He arose, came to his father, but when he was yet a great way off, his father saw him, had compassion, ran, fell on his neck, kissed him. And the son said, Father, I've sinned against heaven and in thy sight. I'm no more worthy to be called thy son. But the father said to his servants, bring forth the best robe, put it on him, put a ring on his hand, shoes on his feet, bring hither the fatty calf, kill it, let us eat, be married. Now, this is a history of how the prodigal son found his way, his Genesis 35, 6 way back to Bethel. In this history, I want you to focus on two hungers that are recorded in the prodigal son. In verse 14, what is the description of the first hunger of the prodigal son? Began to be in want, that's it. Began to be in want. Okay, now, now stay with me now. 
Verse 15, where did the prodigal son go when he felt this first hunger that's described as began to be in one? Yeah, he went and joined himself to a citizen of that country. And when the prodigal son began to be in want, he went and joined himself to a citizen of that country. Okay, now, verse 15, what did the citizen of that country do for the prodigal son who was experiencing his first hunger? He sent him into the fields to feed, feed swine. Okay, verse 17 What words did the prodigal son use to describe his second hunger? I perish with hunger. I perish with hunger. Verse 18, where did the prodigal son go when he felt his second hunger that he described as I perish with hunger? Verse 18, my father, I will rise and go to my father. And in verse 20 and 22 and 23, what did his father do for the prodigal son who was experiencing his second hunger? He had compassion on him, he ran, he fell on his neck, he kissed him, verse 22. Bring forth the best robe, right? Put it on him, ring on the hand, shoes on the feet, fatted calf in the belly, right? And then a party, okay. So the prodigal son did not find his Genesis 35, six way back to Bethel after his first hunger in Luke 15, 14, when he began to be in want. The prodigal son only found his Genesis 35, 6 way back to Bethel only after he had a second hunger in Luke 15, 17 of I perish with hunger. And when the prodigal son, he had his first hunger and began to be in want, he went and joined himself to a citizen of that country who degraded him by sending him to feed pigs, which only made him more hungry. But when the prodigal son had his second hunger of I perish with hunger, then he went back to his father. That was his Genesis 35, 6, back to Bethel. And his father then elevated him by running to him, by kissing him, by putting the best robe on him, by putting a ring on his finger, shoes on his feet, and feeding him with the fatted calf and making a party for him. So after his first hunger, the prodigal son joins himself to a citizen of the country who had no compassion on him, who degraded him and did not satisfy his hunger. But after his second hunger, the prodigal son, when he found his Genesis 35, 6, back to Bethel, then he joins himself to his father, who has compassion on him, exalts him, and who really does satisfy his hunger. So after his first hunger, he didn't find his, his Genesis 35, 6 way back to Bethel, he didn't find any compassion. He, didn't find, he only found degradation and more hunger. But after a second hunger, he did find his Genesis 35, 6, back to Bethel way, and he found compassion, exaltation, satisfaction for his hunger. That's a picture for us. That's a picture of us. When we felt our first hunger, what do we have a hunger for? Thrill, excitement, fulfillment. What do we do? We turn and join ourselves to the world. I'm in. Or maybe we've joined ourselves to some person of the world in a relationship. Like the prodigal son, we found no compassion, we found degradation, we found more hunger. But when we felt our second hunger, then we turned and joined ourselves to God as our father. And just like the prodigal son, we found compassion, exaltation by being adopted as a son by God. We found cleansing, soul satisfaction after our second hunger. Then we found our Genesis 35, six way back to heaven. Back to Bethlehem. So the Genesis 35, 6, 
way back to Bethel doesn't come from the first hunger of, well, I want God. I'd like God. Well, I guess I need God. The Genesis 35, 6, way back to Bethel comes from the second hunger of, I must have God. I perish without God. You know, this last week I gave the gospel to two persons who they only had the first hunger of, you know, it was like, oh, yes, well, well, God would be nice too. Uh, You know, what do I got to do? You want to say, pray some, okay, fine. And they would have prayed the sinner's prayer, you know, and, and that's the why not prayer, you know. But neither of them had that second hunger of, I must have God and I perish without God. And the, the Genesis 35, 6, way back to Bethel, only comes after the second hunger. But the next point about Genesis 35, 6, way back to God, is that it's there for everyone. Everyone, no matter how bad a person is, God has opened up the Genesis 35, 6, way back to Bethel for every person. There was a king that just about surpassed all the kings in Judah as getting the worst king award. You know who that was? Well, there's two you could probably, <laughs> they tied. It was Manasseh. That's what I'm thinking, Manasseh and Ahab, yeah. Manasseh, he was tied for the worst king award in Judah's history. He's described in 2 Kings 21, 1, 2 Kings 21, 1. In fact, all of 2 Kings 21. Manasseh was 12 years old when he began to reign. He reigned 50 and five years. Can you get that? He was the longest reigning king in Judah, 55 years. And his mother's name was Hephzibah, and he did that which was evil in the sight of the Lord after the abomination of the heathen whom the Lord cast out before the children of Israel. He built up again the high places which Hezekiah, his father, had destroyed. He reared up altars for Baal. He made a grove, as did Ahab, king of Israel. He worshiped all the hosts of heaven and served them. He built altars in the house of the Lord. And he built altars for all the hosts of heaven in the two courts of the house of the Lord. He made his son pass through the fire. It means killed him. He observed times, used enchantments, dealt with familiar spirits, wizards. He wrought much wickedness in the sight of the Lord to provoke him to anger. Verse 16, moreover, Manasseh shed innocent blood very much till he had filled Jerusalem from one end to another beside a sin wherewith he made Judah to sin and doing that which was evil in the sight of the Lord. And then it says, now the rest of the acts of Manasseh and all that he did is sin, he sinned, written in the book of the Chronicles of Kings of Judah. Manasseh was unbelievable, building altars to devils, practicing child sacrifice with his own children and practicing the occult. That's Manasseh. But something amazing happened with Manasseh. It's recorded in 2 Chronicles 33, 2 Chronicles 33, 10. The Lord spake to Manasseh and to his people, but they would not hearken. Wherefore, the Lord brought upon them the captains of the host of the kings of Assyria, which took Manasseh among the thorns and bound him with fetters and carried him to Babylon. And when he was in affliction, Manasseh, he besought the Lord his God, humbled himself greatly before the God of his fathers, prayed unto him, was entreated of him, and heard his supplication. God heard his supplication, brought him again to Jerusalem and to his kingdom. And Manasseh knew that the Lord, he was God. It's unbelievable. And it goes on, it says in verse 18, now the rest of the acts of Manasseh and his prayer unto his God and the words of the seers that spake to him in the name of the Lord Israel, behold, they're written. His prayer also. And how God was entreated of him and all his sin and his trespass, places he built, groves, the graven images, before he was humbled, they're written. So when Manasseh is put in thorns, you can only imagine what that was, and he was in irons, he's in complete misery, he gets to second hunger of I perish with hunger. And then he turns to God, humbles himself, prays to God, and he's forgiven. He 
is forgiven. Even for Manasseh, there was a Genesis 35, 6, way back to Bethel. It shows no, no person is too bad that he can't find a Genesis 35, 6, way back to heaven. And King David, he talked about it in Psalm 32, 5. He found his way. He said, and he said, I acknowledge my sin unto thee, mine iniquity have I not heard, and I hid, and I said, I will confess my transgression, and thou forgivest the iniquity of my sin. You know, last Friday night, Scott Ramo and I, we were alone, and we manned the child evangelism booth at the Del Mar Fair from 6 p.m. to 11, which is pretty dangerous for us to be left alone at the Del Mar Fair for five hours because we have no resistance against all that non-kosher food. <laughs> like chocolate-covered bacon, you know? <laughs> anyway, but one little girl came into the castle with her parents, and she could quote John 3.16. I was so impressed. And then I asked her, I said to her, and her parents, I said, I said, have you ever lied? Have you ever lied? And she looked, and she said, oh, yes. <laughs> I was so impressed, I commended her for her honesty, because Genesis 35.6, way back to heaven, you've got to be honest about your sin, like that little girl. And when we read in Genesis 35, 6 about Jacob, after so long finding his way back to heaven, we see in Jacob a symbol of the Jewish people. Again, symbol of the Jewish people. When we see that they will find their Genesis 35, 6 way back to Bethel. Jeremiah 50, Jeremiah 50, verse 4. In those days and in that time, saith the Lord, the children of Israel shall come, they and the children of Judah together, going and weeping. They're crying their heart out. They shall go and seek the Lord their God. They shall ask the way to Zion at their faces. They're the words saying, come, let's join ourselves to the Lord. Join ourselves to the Lord in, in a perpetual covenant that shall not be forgotten. Not join themselves to a citizen of the country, but join themselves to the Lord. And then God says, my people have been lost sheep. Their shepherds have caused them to go astray. They have turned them away on the mountains. They have gone from mountain to hill. They have forgotten their resting place. That's pretty sad. Anybody got a pencil today? Get out a sympathy card and write it to God. Tell him how sorry you feel that he has such bad kids. Why will the Jewish people be crying? Why will they be weeping when they find their Genesis 35, 6 way back to Bethel? Because they're going to be so conscious of their sin. And, and, and they're going to, you know, Lamentations 3.40 put it this, they, they're speaking almost. They say, let us search, try our ways, and turn again to the Lord. Search, have a good look in the mirror of the Bible at ourselves. Try. Hold it up to the Bible our way. See if it's sin. Turn. You know, there can be no turn back to God without a trying of the hearts to see if the heart's, uh, heart's thoughts and words and actions are sin, according to the Bible. And there can be no trying of the hearts without a search of the hearts. And that's what, that's what they do. This is all necessary for the Genesis 35, 6, way back to Bethel. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much that Jacob found his way back to Bethel. And Lord, uh, for all of us, Father, thank you for encouraging us this morning that there is always a way back to Bethel. And if there's anyone here this morning who needs to get on that way back to Bethel, Lord, we pray for the, the searching, the trying, and the turning. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. 
another wonderful day studying the Bible with our Bible teacher, Tom Cantor, here on Friendship with God. Don't forget that today's message and previous messages can be listened and downloaded for free at friendshipwithgod.org, friendshipwithgod.org. You can also go online to find free resources from Tom Cantor and our online bookstore at friendshipwithgod.org. You can also find Tom Cantor on Facebook, and you can also go to friendshipwithgod.org to sign up for his daily devotional verse. Now, Tom Cantor is also the founder of Israel Restoration Ministries. You can visit that website at israelrestoration.org, or you can write Tom Cantor at P.O. Box 711-330, P.O. Box 711-330, Santee, California. That's S-A-N-T-E-E, Santee, California, 92071. Or you can email Tom Cantor at friendshipwithgod.org. Tom Cantor at friendshipwithgod.org. Or for more information about Tom Cantor and Friendship with God and Israel Restoration Ministries, call us at 800-247-3051. Sunday Night Church is back. Starting September 25th, join Friendship with God Bible teacher Tom Cantor at the new Friendship with God Fellowship every Sunday night at 5.30 p.m. at the Creation and Earth History Museum in Santee, California. Join us early each Sunday at 4.30 p.m. for food and fellowship with Sunday evening services to follow at 5.30 p.m. Watch Tom Cantor and the service on YouTube Live located on the Friendship with God website. Enjoy encouraging teaching from our Bible teacher Tom Cantor in a relaxed and family-friendly atmosphere. Sunday Night Church is back, so join us at the Friendship with God Fellowship every Sunday night at 5.30 p.m. at the Creation and Earth History Museum at 10946 Woodside Avenue North in Santee, California. For more information, call us at 800-247-3051, 1-800-247-3051, or visit friendshipwithgod.org. That's friendshipwithgod.org for the Friendship with God Fellowship. <laughs> 